then it's not so much about, hey, we're trying to grow a business for the sake of making money or anything else. It's really about what is the value they're trying to unlock in society that a lot of people would buy a product or service from them, which tends to, I think, produce startups that have a higher chance of success. Welcome to the Invest Local Podcast, where we uncover the brilliance of local businesses that are slugging it out, serving their customers, and giving back to their own communities. Check us out at vicinitycapital.com and give us a follow on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we are not making any investment recommendations, nor are we providing any sort of investment advice. Now on with the show. Welcome, folks, to the Invest Local Podcast. I'm your host, Malcolm McDonald, and joining me today, along with Josh Rollins and John Crawford, is special guest William McGuire from Encolo. Encolo is a traction studio that helps founders hit key traction points around revenue, investment, team, and partners who can help them grow. So really excited to bring you on today, Will, hear about your journey into uh, into Encolo and, uh, and share your perspective on founders throughout the country, but especially there in North Carolina where you're focused. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. Well, we'll jump right in. Um, I want to hear, so it's in Colo, the artist formerly known as Crowdfund NC, if I, if I understand correctly. <laughs> um, but would love to hear how, um, how Incolo got started, um, what your vision behind it was, and, and kind of how that works into to where you're at today. Yeah, great question. Well, it really started from the original perspective, the, the Jobs Act came out which simply allowed pretty much anybody to participate in the investment markets for startups. And I thought that was really cool. I was sitting up in Richmond, Virginia. I was trying to find a way back to North Carolina. My wife and I had personally been investing in companies. And I thought it was a very linear world where more people should just have the opportunity to participate. And I wanted my home state to be able to participate more because they seemed to be lagging behind what the rest of the markets were doing. And then I found out it was actually a more holistic picture than that when I dove into it back in 2019. Yeah, we were actually looking at some numbers towards the end of last year, just looking at, at regulation crowdfunding that came out of, you know, Title Three. And one of the things that was really interesting that we found was there were across the five states of the Southeast, so North and South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama. So you just take those five states, there's less than 3% of the total funds raised out of the $450 million or so. So I think you're doing a super important work there to, to help founders understand how to get that traction. So how does that program work? work for y'all? What do y'all do? How do y'all approach the founders? And, and can you break that down for us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've always told founders that, you know, it's not just about the investment side and this new world that exists with public investment. It's more about what is the business doing to actually grow its, you know, revenue and become a successful business? What are they doing to build a really good team and form partner channels? And along the way, what we found is that some of the businesses we work with public investment crowdfunding where they can, you know, invite people in to invest as little as a hundred bucks in their company or whatever they pick, you know, but also be co-invested alongside the bigger players out there can be a strategic way of recruiting a sales arm or a marketing arm or supply chain channel. I mean, one of our companies that uh, worked with us originally battery exchange, they leveraged a public investment raise, chose to do that raise a little bit from the crowd to hit that next key traction point when COVID hit and their primary revenue channel shut down. Their crowd actually helped them break into new channels that helped them survive. And now they're thriving. Wow. They just announced an investment just this past week from a traditional VC group in the area. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really neat to see how 
they leveraged it for more than just capital. And other founders we work with leverage it for more than just capital to help the company grow and invite other people into the process. Yeah, uh, that's so cool. And Josh, I think we've talked about this stat post uh, raise for for crowdfunding. Um, most companies saw, uh, or many companies saw, an increase in revenue um, from that yeah, from I that think, crowd. Exactly. I think the industry average was something of around twenty three percent was the um, was the increase in, in revenue that was reported out on the the annual reports, the Form C annual reports with the SEC. So. Pretty interesting to see um, some success metrics that are coming out of it. Uh, even prior to a lot of these seeing that, you know, that maybe the returns that they're targeting, you do see um, actual growth uh, in the businesses, which is certainly a positive sign, uh, very positive for the business. Yeah. So when you're, when you're approaching uh, founders, um, what is it that you're looking for to know if they are ready to grow? I, I guess it, to some degree, everyone's ready to grow sales, right? <laughs> but but how, do, how do you know if they have the right pieces in place to really push the pedal down or to accept investment? It really just comes from the team's tenacity. So normally when I'm looking or we're looking at a founder, um, we're really asking about their why, like why they started their company. Are they authentically aligned to this is their calling? And versus somebody who may just be trying to figure it out. And then we're looking for data points around the founding team. Hey, are they going out there and having conversations with people? Are they fine people telling them that their model sucks or that, you know, they need to potentially do this and still maybe their model isn't bad. Maybe their model does work. It just works in a different position. They're looking for data points around it. So first and foremost, it's always about the team that's there and why if, you know, they got a huge offer from a major job, like an Apple or Google living in a town. Why would they still be doing their startup? Because that's their calling. That's the number one thing we always look for in a founder, because then it's not so much about, hey, we're trying to grow a business for the sake of making money or anything else. It's really about what is the value they're trying to unlock in society that a lot of people would buy a product or service from them, which tends to, I think, produce startups that have a higher chance of success. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, we, we look at it from the crowdfunding side to, you know, what is going to appeal to the community? That's one of the biggest things that we talk to company owners or founders about is, um, is this something that resonates within your community? Um, which is it, it kind of an obvious one for us if we're trying to push local investment and trying to facilitate local investment. But that's really interesting on the customer side. You're trying to do the exact same thing. You know, yep. uh, <laughs> if you can't find a community that resonates with this beyond the actual product, you know, actually makes the customers and the community feel something um, and, and attach onto it, you know, forget raising money. You're not going to be able to sell the product in the first place. <laughs> so what, what does that look like for y'all? How do y'all help founders kind of take that? All right, hey, we've got something that we really believe in. Uh, now we want to we want to get traction. Now we want to grow revenue. What does that kind of next step look like when you, when you check that box? That's a great, great question. Well, we've generally broken our services out in the three categories. And what's really interesting is when I got in this world, I thought that founders would prefer something being handed to them, like they get something for free or they get investment from a group because that's what everybody else does. And it turned out the founders in our ecosystem, they actually helped us develop a model where they, they pay us to help them. Sometimes that's cash, sometimes that's equity and warrants on top of it to help them grow around this channel. So the first entry point is what we call Encolo Runway. And all that is doing is over 30, 60 days, a founder is looking for data points around funding channels. That can be investment, it could be revenue channels or a combination of both, but they're looking for data points for what is the best path forward for the business. 
And that's super important to business because they have a lot of discovery that happens in that process. The second one we've got is it's called launch and it really helps the company get aligned internally for getting to a point of growth. So it looks at everything from the super detailed stuff around governance, it's really boring <laughs> in a lot of cases to aligning the team to what is the vision of the founder long-term and what they're trying to grow and the size team they need to grow, those types of pieces and really just going through the details and seeing if they can get some more traction around those data points that they discovered before. So our third offering that we just rolled out for founders and just had a couple sign up is called Growth. And it's really focused on the sales channels of an organization and how they grow. And I mean, that could be everything from leveraging your investors to help the company grow to forming partnerships that help the company grow down to the nuts and bolts around how you build a scalable sales model that helps propel the company forward and helps elevate the team to their new levels. And what's really exciting to me about that whole stack is that every single phase, it's on the entrepreneur to decide. They're not just being handed something. They're not being given something. They're going after it just like every entrepreneur does to create value and they're in full control the entire time. And after working and interviewing 150 plus founders over the past two years, they literally helped us develop that model. That's what they wanted that was missing the ecosystem. Completely opposite from what I thought they wanted. <laughs> but I, we just listened to the market and developed that and had some really great people come along the way that really liked the model too and are just trying to grow this community that's vested in building really successful businesses and the things we love to do so that we can help grow and elevate our region. Well, I think that's so cool. And I mean, from the investment side, again, obviously we, we want people to raise money because um, that's that's what we do. We want to help people do that. But we, what we don't want to do in, in talking through so many different business plans and so many different founders and, and looking at where they're at, I, I can wholeheartedly say that that third piece is just as necessary and, and for a lot of businesses, even more necessary than the, you know, the how do I go out and find investment? A lot of times the answer is you don't need investment. You you have, your investment is those customers that you need to steward better so that you can generate more revenue. And so I love that y'all approach it in that way where it's not a, you know, investment or bust mentality. It's say, hey, let's figure out how we get cash into the business by any means. And sometimes that's not outside. Sometimes that's just going through the growth uh, process more efficiently and, and tapping into more revenue streams. So I think that's, that's a really, really cool approach. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. That's, that's key to it. It's not if it's investment or not investment or it has to be investment, it really is what you said, which is just hammering down on what's going to make the business successful. And what's the capital stack to get them there, revenue or outside. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see founders make um, going into your program? Um, and, and how do you help them kind of avoid those on the, on the, on the back end or throughout the process? Same mistakes I've made, same mistakes other entrepreneurs have made. Some that are tech companies may focus too much on the tech first versus finding product market fit through cheaper methods. Um, mistakes that I've made in the past too um, in companies I've built that haven't worked out is just not really focusing on product market fit out of the gate. So I think, you know, all we mean is would somebody buy or use this product or service and really find out why they would use it, why it adds value versus, you know, Sometimes it's hard, especially for me, because I'm an A to Z guy. I've got a really good team, including a wife that kind of holds the tether down that's ABCD. <laughs> and it's really hard for me to sometimes literally do that. But taking the vision of a founder and trying to narrow that down to what they need to do today 
and really focusing on A versus step C. We want to get to step C. We want to get step E all the way through Z, the point where there's you know potential return for everybody if they ever sell it. So one thing that we've really tried to help entrepreneurs focus on is focus on your investability right now, which means why would somebody invest in your company, even if you didn't have a raise open at this stage, why would they want to? With an eye on exitability, whether you have a model that has a big bang exit, like a Uber going public and unlocking a lot of value and returns for investors, or whether you have a model that pays out along the way, like revenue generating business, like a coffee shop, or you know, just something on Main Street or commercial real estate, you know, kind of like the hotel that you guys did that's converting, you know, converting yeah. an old hotel to residential space. It's really focused on how do we translate that exit goal to where we are today? And we spend a ton of time with founders just trying to find that one dot that really helps them get from point A to point B. And that seems to have been the secret to our success is just apply successful venture building processes to the companies and let the founder and their team kind of take those in and run with them with some advice mm -hmm. along the way. Yeah. I love that idea of, of beginning with the end in mind um, and taking that approach both as a founder and as a founder from a potential investor's eyes, you know, at, you know, you're, I'm inside the business and I'm, I'm trying to make it grow and I'm trying to build something really cool. Um, but what, how, how does somebody from the outside, am I communicating that story well of how I'm getting from, yeah, from, you know, where I'm at today to where that investor can benefit. I love that you said too, that it can be along the way. It's like some of these investments are going to have, you know, a big balloon at the end and, and that's great. Um, and some may pay out slowly over time. And so, but either way, thinking as an investor, as a founder, I think is, is a great way to look at it. So I want to go back to something I threw out early on, which is that kind of disparity between the, the overall amount of, of capital that's been raised through Title III and Reg CF and, you know, what, what we see here in the South, um, yep. you know, and obviously it's growing and, and love to see that. Obviously, we, you know, want to continue to put more deals. We're hopefully pushing, uh, pushing that balance out. Um, but I'm curious from your perspective, you're working with a lot of founders. You, you've been working throughout the state. Do you see that more as a, as a founder issue to be solved or as an investor issue to be solved? And, you know, and, and how do we go about fixing that problem? I think it's a combination of both. Like when I look at West Coast mentality or other coast mentality besides the you know Southeast or the regions you're mentioning, I think it's more of one of just awareness and interest. There's a very different cultural difference on both sides of the country. And you know, when I talk to people here, I've actually found more people that are out of state, not from North Carolina, that have moved here, that sometimes find this world that's being created more interesting than people that have always been around in this area. And without diving into a lot of the like uh, ways that society has been built over time that may have influenced that, I do think it is deeply rooted in that, that history and how it's evolving. And now there's this new convergence of education, mm -hmm. access, and knowledge that is making it more of a proposition around, hey, it's not so much about investing. It's more around, huh, this is my local community. What kind of business do I want here? Is it the... Mm -hmm. Is it the coffee shop? Is it the hotel that's going to provide a bunch of houses for people like the offering you guys did? Is it the med tech company that's literally creating new cures and saving lives? Do we want that in our backyard? I may not fully understand how that works, 
that's pretty cool exposure for not only our community, but also our children to say, hey, we help build the future. Some people resonate with that. Some people don't. And I think it just depends on what stage in life they are. And I think on West Coast, you've got this gold rush mentality that happened back in the day that kind of helped shape that part of the region. Everybody's mm -hmm. like, hey, let's go after it. Let's go after it. Let's try something new. And I really think that shaped the investing culture both sides of the country. But I think the South is primed or the Southeast in general is primed for that, that new convergence. It's like, hey, look, we see what makes really good companies because a lot of people are employed by them. Right. You see those principles of generating capital and more revenue than it costs you in a business. And now there's this new kind of like, eh, it's kind of interesting that people can invest in these companies. I just, you know, I don't, I don't quite understand what that means yet. Right. So it's, it's a very interesting culture. I, I find it more interesting than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're, the convergence is part of what I think John and Josh all talked about. Just the kind of original idea of, of vicinity was, was a convergence of, you know, hey, everything's coming more local. I, I want to support local. I want to eat local. I want to shop local. And then across the country, I'm, I'm becoming more aware of democratized finance. I'm like, oh yeah, that is kind of interesting. I didn't know that I could invest in this, or I didn't know I could, you know, buy crypto or, you know, invest for my, my phone. You know, it's, <laughs> there's this awareness that's slowly happening where it's, it's not just a little guy. It's sometimes it's your typical accredited investor. Who's just investing in, in new ways as well. They're not dropping a hundred dollars at a time. It's much bigger, but they're doing the same thing. They're accessing opportunities um, that they wouldn't have otherwise. And so, like I said, John and Josh, uh, I think a lot of that speaks to the original um, founding of Vicinity and kind of the vision behind it. Yeah, and I, I definitely, I mean, to more directly answer your question too, I think most of the onus is actually on the business owners or the founders, because I mean, the stats show in this industry, the majority of the investors are going to be created or the majority of the investment is sourced by the founding team because they're the ones that have the trust with those people. Even right. if 90% of them or more have never invested a day in their life before, even in the stock market. But it, it's that relationship that exists in this world versus a stock market world where the majority of companies don't live anyway. It's that relational of the local community that I think will drive the model forward. And all the data points indicate that. So. Yeah. You know, if I had to place a bet somewhere, I'd say it's really on the founder community saying, hey, look, we're really in control. Uh, we can pretty much fund our companies however we want. Who do we want along for the ride? Who's strategic? Who's mm -hmm. philosophically aligned? Let, let's go be American again. You know, like, let's not, let's not build companies at the sacrifice of our communities. <laughs> let's build really successful companies that have awesome potential returns, make, you know, bridge the wealth gap, but choose who comes along for the ride because now we can target those people. And I think that's a really cool dynamic that's kind of emerged that is simply because laws changed that allow people yeah. access again. Well, thanks for tuning in. Come back next week for part two of our conversation with Will, where we talk about the tipping point for investment crowdfunding and tips for first time investors. See you next week. And there you have it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the invest local podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving a review and feel free to follow us on any of our social media platforms. And don't forget to tune in next week for more local stories.